Good morning. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. This morning our scripture lesson is found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verses 13 through 35. Now on that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and talking with each other about all the things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are you discussing with each other while you walk along? They stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, whose name was Clopas, answered him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have taken place there in these days? He asked them, What things? They replied, the things about Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and leaders handed him over to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things took place. Moreover, some women of our group astounded us. They were at the tomb early this morning, and when they did not find his body there, they came back and told us they had indeed seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those were with us, went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they didn't see him. Then he said to them, Oh, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had declared. Was it not necessary that the Messiah should suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses, and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. As they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening and the day is nearly over. So, so he went in with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he was talking to us on the road, while he was opening the scriptures to us? That same hour they got up and returned to Jerusalem and they found the eleven and their companions gathered together. They were saying, The Lord has risen indeed and he has appeared to Simon. Then they told him what had happened on the road and how he had made known to them in breaking of the bread. 
Let's pray. Bless, O Lord, the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts. O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our redeemer. Amen. We might think a road is a road is a road. Au contraire, my friends, there are boulevards and causeways. There are courts and cul-de-sacs, highways, lanes, and one-way streets. There are gravel roads, concrete roads, paved ones, and dirt roads, back alleys and historic highways, ice roads, and beltways. There are parkways and turnpikes, freeways and limited access roads, private roads and bus lanes, carpool lanes and roundabouts, connector streets and interchanges, interstate roads and military roads, turnpikes and toll roads, Audubons and bypasses, and that doesn't name them all. Each road has power in its purpose. So important was the need for a strong road system that in 1956, Congress passed the Federal Act Highway excuse me, Federal Aid Highway Act, creating a federal system to produce interstate highways. Its purpose was for, to support national security. For example, throughout the system, there are mile-long stretches of concrete pavement that double as emergency landing strips for military aircraft. Roads, regardless of their type, serve a purpose, connecting people to community, industry to commerce, potential to progress, Roads have power. In our scripture last week, Pastor Jennifer illustrated the power of place where Jesus appeared in the upper room. Locked away for fear, Jesus comes to them in this powerful place where they will remember that they shared the Passover, their last supper together. How wonderful it must have been to see Jesus right there and to receive the assurance and words of encouragement. But now the battered and beleaguered disciples will be hitting the road home and a new place of engagement will have to unfold. Jesus chooses a road. Our scripture lesson begins today, midday, on the road to Emmaus with two sorry disciples who half believe 
that they bet their lives on the wrong Savior. They're walking the seven miles to Emmaus, headed back to fishing nets or tax collecting jobs, jobs that must be found new or businesses that they left sitting in the dust. Four words pop up right in the middle of our scripture lesson. Four words that I think are the most heartbreaking and real in all of scripture. But we had hoped. But we had hoped. We had hoped that this was the one, the one to redeem all of Israel. What they had dreamed of, hoped for, didn't happen in the way that it was supposed to. There's so much in those four words that speaks of a future that is not to be. A dream that had created energy and enthusiasm but didn't materialize. A promise that had created faith that proved to be false. It speaks of a future that is closed off, now irrelevant, dead. And there are few things in life more tragic than a dead future. For the disciples on the road to Emmaus, it felt like a dead end street. Once challenged to write a short story in six words, Ernest Hemingway supposedly replied by pinning six words on a napkin, and they were these. For sale, baby shoes, never used. It's not just the tragedy of what happened that hurts, but it's the gaping hole now in their lives that could have happened for things that might have happened and now won't. But we had hoped. I so appreciate those heartbreaking words because don't they ring true for us today? Life bears great joy and pleasure and real disappointment, heartbreak, and even failure. And all too often our human inclination is to say, but I had hoped, and then go about moving on for the pain, groping for what's next. The pain of our pandemic is the perfect example. A few short weeks ago, we were all struggling. There were slogans all around our state and across the country saying, we're gonna get through this together. It was positive and we were coming together as communities and as a nation. Now all that togetherness 
has us fighting over when to open the economy to get back to something that looks like normal. And the church is all up in the debate. Should we worship? Should the government keep us from worshiping? What's worship going to look like? How can we do it and remain safe? As the protests over the reopening of the economy grow, in St. George, Utah, a local conservative talk radio host by the name of Kate Daly said it this way, why ruin our lives to keep us safe? The kind of loss we are experiencing in human lives and in human futures leaves us at a true loss. Our hearts are broken, but we had hoped. Would that Jesus would meet us now on the road, on this foreign territory. My friends, I believe that Jesus does. Luke tells us a story about two disciples whose experience with Jerusalem has left them traumatized. Not glossing over their trauma to, to explain to Jesus the events of the past three days. We were following Jesus of Nazareth, a prophet mighty in word and deed before God. Then he was handed over to the priest and leaders and condemned to death. They crucified him. And we had hoped, so hoped that he was the one. Our scripture does not allow us to gloss over the trauma of the three days. It left a befuddled, broken faith community. Even Clopas' reaction is understandably a bit contentious. His language is almost as if he's being betrayed. We had hoped, and, and then the women, they came back and told us that Jesus wasn't there, but an angel told them that he was resurrected. We went, though, and we didn't see him. And right there, in the middle of that intersection, Jesus does what he does best. He whips out his pocket Torah along with the complete with the prophets, and then he gives a masterful PowerPoint sermon from Moses through the prophets about how they all arrived at this intersection on the road to Emmaus. Which is another way of saying Jesus made a huge effort to bring back out the roadmap, to remind them again where they were on this road. This journey has length and depth and history and therefore a future. Here you were 
as God's people, Jesus says. And here you were as God's people. And here you were as God's people. And here you are as God's future. I'm blessed by the lengths to which Jesus would go to express compassion and understanding for God's people at such a crossroad in their lives. I don't know exactly where I heard it, but it's been some time ago that human beings can't, can live 40 days without food. They can live for four days without water. We can live four minutes without air and breathing. But we cannot live four seconds without hope. Neuroscientist Tally Sherratt argues that hope is so essential to our survival that it is hardwired in our brains. I would argue that it is hardwired in our hearts. Hope is the difference between living a life versus having a life of despair. There's a difference, my friends. Right now, it would be very easy to feel like hope is not only in short supply and pain and anxiety are coming by the truckload. There's plenty we could feel hopeless about. Some will react, excuse me, some will react out of desperation. Others will act in anger. Some will circle their emotional wagons and close down to the world. Others will drink, eat, or drug themselves to forget. None of it works. These things make us less than ourselves and deep inside we know it. And that's where the danger lies in this road. Where are we finding our hope? Today, we know more and no less than those on the Emmaus Road are at an intersection. Luke, in a very masterful way, places this intersection on the road to, for, to Emmaus, not only for the disciples, but I believe for generations to come, as they too will struggle. Notice just how it happens. Jesus joins them on their seven-mile hike and begins that conversation by saying, what are you guys talking about? The question stops them in their tracks. Luke says, they stood still. We would be remiss if we sped past this moment in the scripture and Clopas's response. 
he basically says, where have you been that you don't know what happened in Jerusalem over the last days? The pair are stunned by Jesus' question. The story to this point is from only their understanding. But remember, this is a road, a road with a purpose, and what they have arrived at is this intersection, this crossroad. It is not a roundabout. Luke is suggesting to us that something powerful is happening here. They must stop, look, and listen. When God intersects the conversation with us, it is of critical significance that we discover which story we're living from. What story are we telling ourselves? Is it our story or God's story? Will we trust our interpretation of the story as we understand it, or will we trust God to stop us in this intersection and move us into a different understanding yet to be revealed? It's terribly important to know the difference. I read this week an article about Ken Fusion. Apparently he uh, knew that he was going to die and so he decided to write his own tribute. It reads like this, and of course the end of his death was placed in it after it was written. It says, Ken Fusion, born June 23rd, 1956, died January 3rd, 2020 at Nebraska Medical Center of Liver Cirrhosis and is stunned to learn that the world is somehow able to go on without him. Ken attended the University of Missouri, Columbia's famous school of journalism, which is a clever way of saying almost graduated but didn't. Facing a choice between covering a story for the newspaper or taking his final exams, Ken went for the story. He never claimed to be smart, just committed. In 1981, Ken landed his dream job, working as a reporter for the Des Moines Register. Ken won several national feature writing awards, no, he didn't win a Pulitzer Prize, but he's dead now, so get off his back. In 2011, Ken accepted a job in the marketing department at Simpson College, where he remained until 2018. He was diagnosed with liver disease at the beginning of 2019, which is pretty ironic given how little he drank. He is survived by his sons, who all brought Ken unsurpassed joy. He hopes they will forgive him for not making the point more often. He loved his boys and was and is extraordinarily proud to be their father. Now, here's the intersection in Ken's tribute.
Ken had many character flaws. If he still owes you money, he's sorry, sincerely. He prided himself on letting others drivers cut in line. For most of his life, Ken suffered from a compulsive gambling addiction that nearly destroyed him. But his church friends never gave up on Ken. Ken's last placed a bet on September 5th, 2009. He died clean. He hopes that anyone who needs help will seek it. Miracles abound. Skepticism may be cool, and for too many years, Ken embraced it. But it was faith in Jesus Christ that transformed his life. That was the one thing that he never regretted. It changed everything. God is good. Embrace every moment, even the bad ones. See you in heaven. Ken promises to let you cut in line. There was an intersection where Ken had to stop and tell himself or examine for himself the story he was telling. And it was the transformative presence of Christ at this intersection throughout his life that made it possible to tell a Christ story in the midst of his brokenness. Last but not least, it matters a lot what we have packed on this faith road that we live. The scriptures say as they came near to the village to which they were going, he walked ahead as if he were going on. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, because it's almost evening, and the day is nearly over. So he stayed with them. And when he was at table with them, he took bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. It was then that their eyes were opened, and they recognized Jesus and in that very recognition, Jesus vanished. That Jesus vanished before them is an indication that their visual recognition will not be enough to sustain an enduring faith. Hope, my friends, has to be internalized. Their direction had to become internal. It had to be something they could carry with them on this road. Why else would Jesus open the scriptures to them, filling them back up? Luke lets us watch it happen when Clopas says, in memory, oh, didn't our hearts burn? as he opened the scriptures to us. The reality of Jesus with them 
must become the reality of Jesus within them. And Jesus must help them pack their hope from the inside because the outside will challenge and tear at them. The outside visual cannot and will not be enough to sustain. Let me offer this as an idea. Suppose I was holding a glass of water and I shook it. Water would spill out and say, and you might ask, well, why did water come out? And the response would be, well, you shook it and the water came out. But there is an equally correct answer to that question. Water came out because water was what was in the glass. If there hadn't been water in the glass in the first place, no water would have ever come out of the glass. So yes, it's true that you shook it and water came out because there was water in it. It's equally true that water came out because it was water inside. Make no mistake, my friends. Jesus is on this pandemic road with us, showing up in our pain and confusion, directing us with the power of the scriptures. We are like the disciples at a clear intersection where we need to stop and remember the power of the one who still leads us. Let our hearts burn with the knowledge that Christ will be revealed. And then know that when Christ is with us and we are shaken and shaken again, then what comes out of us can be hope on the road. We have everything that we need. So let our response as people of Christ who have internalized our hope in Jesus, let the world shake and let what comes from us be the gift of Christ to others. Thanks be to God. Amen.